Alléluia. Alléluia. Welcome to my kitchen. It's another edition of solitary confinement in the digital age. You could call it a triumphant morning in a sense as it was the coldest night of the year last night. Castro and I got through it pretty fine, barely even used, I think I only used three sticks of wood in the fire. I woke up fairly close to freezing, but it's fine. I think it was, it was only minus eight. It's not like real cold, but we got through it. I'm pretty warm now, slept well. Solitary confinement in the digital age. Gloriously sunny day today here. Tons of snow on the ground. I've just finished. Well, I wouldn't say I'm finished. I'd say I'm in the middle of the inshallah component of Beef Hampton. The final component of Beef Hampton, and boy, is it a treat to write. It's kind of, I feel like I'm experiencing the fruits of putting so much time into one work. Like I've just been working on this piece. I've been writing it for since at least 2008, before 2008, because some of this, this is in a way, this is documentary, because a lot of that's mentioned in here are documentary notations from my notebooks, which were done in 2006, 2007, earlier, much earlier. Wow. And now I've winnowed it down. It's going to be a, here in absentia, it's going to be a trilogy of novellas. Or not necessarily, it's just going to be a trilogy. The first one is kind of a novella. You know, I'm really fond of this Beef Hampton section. I'm really fond of Beef Hampton, Australia. It's um, uh, it's it's a it's an Eden and a Gethsemane. True true story, Beef Hampton, and this is coming up in the final part when Andy and John O'Banks go up to Mount MacArthur. And when you stand at, uh, at the top of Mount MacArthur and look down, you can, it's just absolutely gorgeous up there. It's absolutely breathtaking. Maybe the best view, it's so interesting, but you can look down, you can see Tanuba stretching through central Queensland. You can see her branching out her mouth. You can, on a clear day up there, it's amazing. At nighttime, it's amazing. In a foggy day, it's amazing. In a smoky day, it's probably dangerous because the smoke's well hanging up there. But there's eucalyptus. There's this trail. There's a little tiny neighborhood up at the top of Mount MacArthur. It's got, I think there's 12 houses. We actually used to deliver our newspaper there. We used to take it up and deliver it there because it's, it's uh, obviously the houses up there are next level. And it's a real, if you live, if you have a house up in that little neighborhood, you, <clears throat> it's basically a statement to the rest of the city. Like, I own you. 
but it's beautiful up there. And then there's this little walking trail, this little walking trail through the bush that's up there. And there's good, they do have bush. Ah, oh, so nice. Oh, Beef Hampton. Anyway, that's going to be the first novella. And, and it's so real. It so accurately captures Beef Hampton. And now I've just finished this morning, just finished writing. Now I'm really seriously writing about the abattoir. And this is going to be a strange little experience because the, you know, the abattoir has just become a, a character in the story. Ah, so that's one thing that's going on here in solitary confinement in digital age. That's one thing. Eli Weissel. I've been reading this book, Eli Weissel book, for so long now. I love reading this book. I think I'm gonna. Write, I think I'm actually gonna try to track down some of his novels now. This is an interesting. I'm reading his memoirs, Eli Weissel memoirs, and the only reason I'm reading this book is because of Jeremy Stewart. Long ago, Jeremy Stewart. He knows my. He understands things that appeal to me, put it that way. Jeremy sends me a link about a guy named Shushani, about a mysterious man named Shushani. And I should even look that up just to be, just to honor you, my viewer. I should even, um, how do you spell it? Shushani. I'm going to put Shushani in. It's in, what was his name? I'm going to. Shushani, but I think it's spelled different in Wikipedia than it is in this book for some reason. Weissel. Weissel Shushani. Monsieur Shushani. Here it is. Jeremy Stewart sends me this link. <laughs> and that's the reason why I'm reading this Eli Weissel book. Because I'm reading the link is called Monsieur Shushani. And so I look it up. And it says Monsieur Shushani, French pronunciation. January 9th, 1895 to January 26, 1968. Wow, Shoshani died on Wayne Gretzky's birthday and on Australia Day, January 26, 1968, in the year that Pierre Trudeau was about to become Prime Minister of Canada. And a few months later, Marshall McLuhan, in the same year that Shoshani dies, will write his first letter to Trudeau. 68 is a very powerful year. It's a very powerful year. Anyway, Shoshani is the nickname of an otherwise anonymous and enigmatic Jewish teacher who taught a small number of distinguished students in post-war Europe, uh, post-World War II Europe and elsewhere, including Emmanuel Levinas and Eli Weissel. Now, Shoshani is one of the most interesting, magical beings that I've ever encountered. Not much is known about Shoshani, including his real name, uh, a secret which he zealously guarded. His origins are completely unknown, and his gravestone, located in La Paz, Canelones, Uruguay, where he died in 1968, reads, The wise Rabbi Shushani of blessed memory. His birth and his life are sealed in enigma. The text is by Eli Weissel, who paid for this gravestone. The name Shushani, which means person from Shushan, is most probably an allegorical reference or possibly a pun. Eli Weissel hypothesizes that Shushani's real name was Mordecai Rosenbaum, while Hebrew University professor Shalom Rosenberg asserts that Shushani's actual name was Hillel Perlman. An article published by Yael Levine in 2015 based on genealogical research 
brought documentation supporting the view that Shushani was none other than Perlman, a native of Brest-Litovsk-Brisk, wherever that is. And so here's this fascinating guy. And the reason I'm reading Eli Weissel was because Jeremy Stewart sent me this link. And I, as soon as I read, I started reading, I just became fascinated about Shushani. And that led me to look up Eli Weissel or Weissel. I don't even know. I don't, I didn't, I'd never even heard of him. I don't think. I'd never even heard of him. It just shows you, you can be so well read and there's still so many major writers you've never heard of, which to me is, a, is another miracle of the whole world of books. Like you can be extremely well read. I don't think that's true anymore. I think the, I don't think if you just started reading modern literature now, you couldn't, you'd be, you'd be lacking in a lot. Anyway, so Shushani is why I'm reading Weissel. And there's just a little thing. There's just a little tiny bit. I'll read you more. I'll read you more. Although there is no body of works by Shushani himself, there is a very strong intellectual legacy seen in the influence on his pupils. By all accounts, Shushani had the appearance of a vagabond and yet was reputed to be a master of vast areas of human knowledge, including science, mathematics, philosophy, and especially the Talmud. In my opinion, it's rather obvious. This is Alex, this is Alex editorializing. In my opinion, it's rather obvious that Shushani was without question one of the Lamed Vav. You know, I've, I would like to, I would like to really, you know, if you're going to believe in these sacred texts, if you're going to believe that Texas, Texas, then you really must believe there are Lamed Vav working on the planet today. And, uh, you know, the, what is it? The 36 great men, the just men that the Jews believe are, will always be in existence to save, working to save humanity from anonymity throughout time. And it just seems like Shushani must be one of them. Shushani appeared, oh wait, let's see. Most of the let's see, most of the biographical details of Shushani's life are known from the works and interviews of his various students, as well as anecdotes of people whom he encountered during his lifetime. Shushani appeared in Paris after the Second World War, where he taught between the years of 1947 and 1952. He disappeared for a while after that, evidently spent some time in the newly formed state of Israel, returned to Paris briefly, then left for South America, where he lived until his death. What a guy. He is buried at the Israeli cemetery of La Paz. A French journalist named Solomon Malka wrote a 1994 book about him entitled Monsieur Shushani, L'Anigme de, de Maître du 20th, the 19th, the 20th century, of the 20th century. The enigma of subject of the 20th century? The enigma of the 20th, oh, the enigma of the 20th century master is right there. Um, <clears throat> Shushani and Levinas. And so Emmanuel Levinas's first encounter with Shushanti and their subsequent relationship is summarized as follows. Now, I don't even know who Emmanuel Levinas is. Here, let me see. Who is he? Let's just quickly check. Emmanuel Levinas is a French philosopher of Lithuanian Jewish ancestry. Anyway. I don't want to read about him. I want to read about Shushani more. So, so in, so in 1945, Levinas's closest friend, Dr. Henri Nersan, a Jewish obstetrician, told him about an outstanding and quite bizarre individual he came to know during the years of the war in the area of Vichy. The man was so unusual that even his real name was not known. He used to be called Shushani but this was more of a nickname than his true one. His external appearance was quite unpleasant, some even say repugnant, 
However, according to Nursen, his knowledge was phenomenal. Nursen, who is known for his sober way to apprehend people and situations, or his sober way to apprehend people, was clearly in a state of excitement, as if he would have become an adept, an adept of some sect. He strongly recommended to Levinas to meet Shushani, but for two years, Levinas refused. After all, Levinas was quite suspicious to what his this clochard-looking man could contribute to him, whatever clochard means. Finally, in 1947, Levinas agreed to meet Shushani. We know very little about the meeting itself, but there exists a myth. The myth suggests that they met for an entire night. And in the morning, Levinas said to Nersen as he was about to leave, I cannot tell what he knows. All I can say is that I know he knows. Be the accuracy of this myth as it may, whatever that means, be the accuracy of this myth as it may, one, one fact remains indisputable. From then on, Levinas became interest in the, interested in the study of Talmud to a point where most of his free time he would devote to studying it. For the next five years, Levinas attended study at length with Shushani, alone with Nersen and in a weekly study group that would study Talmud and which included in addition to them a small group of friends. In 1952, Shushani left France for Israel and came back in 1956 for about six months before leaving Europe definitely for South America, where he remained until his death in 1968. The influence of Shushani on Levinas is most strongly felt in Levinas's famous series of Talmudic readings. Levinas did not acknowledge his influence until late in life. Levinas was powerfully impressed by Shushani's total mastery of texts, commentaries, and meta-commentaries, as well as Shushani's ability to widen the scope of the Talmud, including using creative dialectic methodology. One hallmark of the Shushani style in Levinas's work is that the, is the method by which the interpretation of a text is understood not just by the words of a particular station, but rather the entire context of that citation. Levinas's hermeneutical expositions on the Talmud, which he credits to his master, Shushani, managed to be simultaneously traditional and radical in feeling. As a result of his studies with Shushani, Levinas saw the ancient text of Talmud and its multiple layers of subsequent commentary not merely as a place where all that can ever be thought has been thought of already, but also as a framework for his reconciliation of ethics, phenomenology, and postmodernity. Anyway, Shushani and Weisel. Eli Weisel described his initial 1947 with Shushani in Legends of Our Time, which I haven't read yet. Weisel writes that Shushani was dirty, hairy, and ugly. A vagabond who accosted and berated him in Paris in 1947 and then became his mentor. Weisel wrote of him again in his memoir, All Rivers Run to the Sea. Weisel credits Shushani as being his one of his most influential teachers. So I saw this. This is where this is why I have Eli Weisel's All Rivers Running to the Sea. That was a bit of a digression. I don't even know if I've, how long this thing's been. I've been reading that thing for a while. I was, eh, not too long. So, and now I'm fascinated with both Weisel and Shoshani. And Weisel is such a good writer. He creates, he's such a good writer. It's such a delight to encounter. Just good writing, good storyteller, his autobiography. I got his autobiography before I'd heard of him. That's the power that I had of that. I've never done that before. I've never just read someone's autobiography who I'd never even heard of, like, as an interesting thing. And that was a very rewarding exercise, starting backwards. Start from the back, because uh, I guess Eli Weissel won the Nobel Prize for literature. He was a 
I don't like the term Holocaust survivor. I, he, he was he endured the Holocaust. He was a Holocaust endurer. Survivor sounds a little bit cliche. Some things, some things you, some things you can't uh, you can't lump all the survivors in together, right? Nowadays, nowadays we're all survivors, but I think uh, that that because we're all survivors nowadays, I think someone that lived through the Holocaust, you, you can't call them Holocaust survivors. You have to call them Holocaust endurers. Like imagine enduring that, surviving it. You can survive. I don't know. Skin cancer doesn't mean it's easy. Hmm. Power of Vaisa. Well, it's certainly shaping out to be a rather Jewish Tuesday, isn't it? Certain Jewish Tuesday, led by Shishani, the Master. I believe I was even singing Hallelujah to begin this podcast, which is another Jew written by another great Jew. Another great Jew. Let's call it a Jewish Tuesday. This is a Jewish Tuesday. If I could make it, I could make many, many Jewish Tuesdays. Should that be the feature? Should it always be a Jewish Tuesday? No. Solitary confinement in a digital age cannot bear such structure, even though it might be a good idea and it might end up happening spontaneously. Thanks for the dance, Leonard Cohen. Thanks for the dance. It was hell. It was swell. It was fun. Thanks for the, wow. Wow. So funny. Leonard Cohen is such a master. You know you're you know you're reading the words of a master of a sort. Um, and it's only because I've heard Leonard and love Leonard and just admire him that I know what a master he is. And I find his mastery comes shimmering at me when I try to read a poem of his aloud and realize I don't even deserve to. I don't deserve to. I don't deserve to put another interpretation. you know not yet I don't know if I can Leonard Cohen's voice Leonard Cohen I would just love to hear him that man knew how to captivate he understood the captivation he understood like I guess there's certain people many people will be captivated by something Shushani was a captivator and I really I still feel strongly that if I was ever going to write a screenplay I would like to do one on Shushani and maybe it's, I'm thinking about doing one on Shushani as told from the perspective of Weissel, with Weissel just being this kind of weird, anonymous character. And then only at the very end do you reveal that Weissel, what he achieved, that he actually went on to win the Nobel Prize, and he paid for Shushani's gravestone. This, this enigma of a man who his whole theory... He developed a theory on Shushani, and it's been, he didn't even know, he thought, he didn't even know, Weisel thought he was some guy in real life, and apparently that was disproven, I don't know, according to Wikipedia. Imagine Shushani, how mysterious to be, there's actually two intelligent schools of thought debating on who you actually were. There's not too many enigmas like that. Doesn't that just, huh, the Lama Bob. Hmm. That's an interesting one. That weird song. What's that weird song by Jeff Burner? Don't go into that nightclub. Please don't go into that nightclub. What's that one? How's that? 
that song called? I'll Keep It Light Enough to Travel. I love that one. Another Jewish hymn by Rabbi Jeff Berner. God knows what he's doing now. Keep it light enough to gravel. Is that like a guy? <laughs> Jeff Berner. That's what I want to hear for a little bit of music. Is it going to be okay there? Well, it's his live stuff. There's one of him playing it live. His Jeff Berner's live stuff is, you never, I want to hear the song, but. No, we're not going to have that one. That's not the right version. Let's go for this one. That's just Jeff Berner playing it a little bit. Ce que nous partageons avec Burner. les autres témoigne de notre affection. Du chocolat onctueux, des noisettes croquantes, et des cartes gourmandes. At the start of every evening That's the last place we want to be Coffee drinkers Dressed in black with no sugar They don't give me no respect they say, look, here comes another one. I don't know what they mean yet. As I say, keep it light enough to travel. Keep it light enough to travel. Keep it light enough to travel. Don't let it all unravel. No, no, no. Don't let it all unravel. Keep it light enough to travel. Solitary confinement. Promise me we won't go into the nightclub. I feel so screwed up when I'm in there. Can't tell the bouncers from the customers. Just doing a bit of stretching. I don't know which ones I prefer. Promise me we won't go into the nightclub. I really think that it's obscene. This is the song of Andy Zelopan. Happy birthday, Zelopan. What kind of people gotta meet people? Somewhere they can't be heard or seen. <laughs> Keep it light enough to travel. Keep it light enough to travel. Don't let it all unravel. No. 
Keep it alive, not Smash the windows at the login company just to get a little release Had to throw down my accordion To get away from the police That's it Keep it light enough to travel Oh, I love this version. Keep it alive enough to travel. Don't let it all unravel. No, no, no. Fourth Cinema is a work of personal transformation. Keep it alive enough to travel. Keep it light enough, light enough. It's Jewish Tuesday here on Solitary Confinement in the Jewish Age. It's Jewish Tuesday, Solitary Confinement in the Digital Age. Well, that was nice. I'm going to stop it now before some weight loss ad comes on. There we go. Things I do not like. Why? Why would anyone be so stupid as to make a list of things you do not like? I do not like thinking about things I do not like. Keep it light enough to travel. Jeff Burner. Quite a guy, Jeff Burner. First time I ever encountered him was at Wells, the same time, in about 20, 2008. He was hustling then, hustling, walking around, handing out pamphlets to everyone, promoting. He was doing the work. He wasn't quite, hadn't quite, he, he, didn't, he did crack it to a certain extent. The rumor that he was big in Europe was everywhere, and I'm sure that was part of his marketing. Um, Jeff Byrne has written... I believe two novels. The first one was a novella. I kind of don't think he should have called that one a novel. It was definitely a novella, but he called it a novel. Um, oh, let me just, here we go. Careful, slowly. But let's get you home well for poopy poo poos. Let's go outside, eh? Just gotta let the lady cast her out. Oh, wow. Bright and sunny day, lots of snow. Castro's very happy to be out there. Oh, what was I talking about? I was talking about Burner. It's Jewish Tuesday. Hmm, that's a nice, that's a nice idea, Jewish Tuesday. It'd be nice to explore the, well, 
Who knows? Who knows? This Tuesday, any Tuesday could be your last Tuesday. Yeah, let's make it sweet. Can I play Jeremy Stewart on Jewish Tuesday? Hmm, I'm going to contemplate that. I feel like... I feel like... Hmm. Absolutely. Of course I can play Jeremy Stewart on Jewish Tuesday. Uh, what was I... For, I was just... I've forgotten his association in the most... Wait a minute. I want to play that one. Just while we're heading out, do we have time for that little one? What's it called? Let's... It's called Mountain Alone, Jeremy Stewart. It's in my... Something rather. Oh, it's in my it's in my Gmail. We can play a little. Go up the mountain alone. That's true. Well, well, man, you see? See? This is a two. Going back through our painting. I'm here to help you. This is a two side going back, but we are catching. But we are catching. We are catching it. won the provincial championship that year. A sad clown's face turns inside out. That was the year we won provincials. Washes make up a way. A Faces, but now 
destination beyond hope all the things all the things he knew he was going to beyond hope British Columbia you remember the year they won provincials all the teams all the teams he played on in his life without question the team that he enjoyed the most the one that meant the most to him this is the cross team. Beyond Hope, British Columbia. The team was called the Skeetos Pub Assault. And they won the provincial championship that year. And they were a shit show. They were a walking shit show. <laughs> they were a walking shit show. <laughs> but they had talent, they had guts, they had chemistry, they had joie de vivre. They looked out for each other. There was there was favored to lose. They were favored to be dead last in the league, in the city league at Beyond Hope. They were they were predicted to lose the whole thing. I John I joined this team as like a man who hadn't played the cross in at least seven years or something like that. It was out of practice. But I made the team only because they needed players. And I was on the fourth line. Or I was on a blow line. But I started picking it up and I moved up the ranks a little tiny bit. But this team, the essence of this team is we didn't practice, we had no warm-up drills, we had nothing. All the other teams had military-style practices. They put us in shame. We had this kind of half-assed warm-up. Everyone was laughing at us. Everyone was laughing at us. Somehow, one thing led to another, and we just started winning. We started winning. <laughs> oh. And I remember the highlight of my the highlight of my athletic career, even though it was just a little stupid one, was uh, it came when I scored a goal in the playoffs. I scored the game. I scored the game tying goal. I put it. We were losing. We were losing. We were going down. There was like less than a minute left, and we were going to be wiped out of the provincials. I got the ball. Some, I don't know, who my ridiculous way put it in the back of the net, tied the game up. And what I liked about this, what I loved about this goal is that it was so important. It was such an important goal when they were playing it on the six o'clock news that night that they couldn't avoid showing it. They had to show it. And when they show it, they had to say my name on the news. And it was so nice to hear my name spoken from a news broadcast at that stage in my life for something so wonderful. Something, I scored a goal. You know, I scored a goal, and then Alan Bristow, a news broadcaster from Saskatchewan, a man who knew it all and didn't didn't blow the whistle on me, he announced it, the game-tying goal, and then we went on to win in overtime. I think Dave Kehoe probably scored. We had some great talent on that team, James Larmont, Dave Kehoe, Shawnee Ingham, the, the LaBarbera, Adam LaBarbera, whose son, whose brother, Jason LaBarbera, was a goalie for the New York Rangers. This was a serious, we had some talent on this team. We had some guns. We, once we, once we realized how good we were, we had talent, we had grit. 
We had Ryan. We had what's the guy? My two buddies. One of them was a prison guard. I was buddies with a prison guard on that team. How good was that, Ryan? We went Ryan Dorn. Yeah, we went out and lit up PG. Had some. It was just a great time. Tim, Ryan, and Tim. Ryan and Tim. Tim was something else too. Tim was a cop, maybe. I don't know what Tim was, but anyway. Just a, maybe he was a prison guard too. Maybe they were both prison guards. I don't know. Anyway, we used to hang out. Me just being out of prison and keeping that to myself. But I knew, like, the guys on that team knew. Some of them, James Larmon went to school with my brother, so he knew. They let me play. They let me on. I scored that goal. We won the provincials after being predict after being the mockery. It was like Slapshot. It was like the, it was a team like the movie Slapshot. Like we were so ridiculous. We didn't practice. We didn't have any warm-up drills. We didn't we in the warm-ups, we kind of like <laughs> it was just so stupid. It was so funny. But that kind of lightheartedness. That kind of lightheartedness. Uh that, that did the trick. That took us to the top of the league. And so the song we heard to kind of play into this was uh Jeremy Stewart's Mountain Alone. But I want to keep talking about this uh, Skeeto's Pub Assault team because I want to talk about the crazy night. We, we had so many crazy nights. And uh, one of, the, <laughs> one of the, 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 the chairman of the league was also a city councillor. And after the provincials were over, the city councillor, he lived in a kind of an acreage on the outside of town. He, inv he invited the team over for a giant boozy party at his house, and there was one. And he's like, he gave us the trophy. He was his responsibility was for the trophy. He gave it to us. He put it in our signs. He goes like, guys, do not, this, do not like this trophy. It's, it's like one of the oldest trophies. Do not, like, take care, good care of this trophy. Be pleased. He says, blah blah blah. blah. At, at one point, at anyway, that's, this is just one of the crazy things that happened that night. At some point, as the night progressed. I remember we were in his garage for whatever reason. I don't know why, but we had dismantled the trophy. It was completely dismantled. And I think we were doing it. Oh, we taken the top off because it had a top. The trophy had a top and we wanted to drink out of it, but it had this like brass top. So we like find we were like, we dismantled the trophy to take the brass top off just so we could drink out of the trophy. And at this point, the garage door opens and this man whose name I won't the man who was so good to me, his counselor, the city counselor walks in. <laughs> he looks down. He's the president. He's the president of the British Columbia Lacrosse League. I'll just say his name was Glenn Moose Scott. His name was Glenn Moose Scott. And such a kind, wonderful man. And he, he, looks, <laughs> he sees the trophy. We swore that we're going to take care of it. And we've, we've got it dismantled. There's like screws all over the floor and we're pouring booze out of it into our mouths. That was the kind of team we had. That was a fun, fun team. It was fun. It was fun to win a level, win at a level like the provincials. I was on a team that won the provincials in, in hockey and in midget hockey, but I was injured. I got injured in the tournament first game or second game. So it's no fun to sit on the bench with your arm in a sling, watching your team win the trophy. It just, I just didn't feel like part of that team. And I wasn't. Um, Well, anyway, so that night we, that night continued with another, I'm just thinking about the, all the local connections that night also considered, now I'm not going to say names here, because it consisted of some, some drunk driving on behalf of a child that was in the, in, in, 
in federal politics, whose parent was in federal politics, and a child, as I was in the passenger seat, decided to um, just drive home and drive me and some other people home, and we ended up flying off the road on this corner near the out behind the airport in Beyond Hope, British Columbia, uh, out beyond the airport there, and we skidded off the road and we got stuck and we were all just like so like could barely stand wasted and somehow this crazy scenario this guy the first car that drives by the guy's got a it's only in beyond hope only in this place the guy has a winch and a tow rope and everything hooks us up we're out of the road back on the and we're <laughs> he's going this is we're back on the road he obviously knew we were drunk he's like thanks he lets us go and we drove home no one called the police no one did anything and everything worked out okay. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not condoning drunk driving, but I am saying the fervor of punishment and pointing the finger it can only be beneficial to a certain extent. Go up the mountain alone. Sad clown's face turns inside out. Jeremy Stewart, yeah, he is the, uh, I guess he would be the musician of Beyond Hope, British Columbia. For a while there, he was, th those folks were characters. I'm going to leave that place, I'm going to leave a lot of that out. I'm going to leave a lot of that out. you got to keep stuff out. It's not, this is not an expose. This is a carefully crafted thing, but I do believe B BHBC needs to be mentioned now in the Inshallah section. I need to mention that because that's his destination. As soon as he can get out of town, he wants to go back to Beyond Hope, British Columbia, where he has a mother. At least he has a mother left. Uh, so anyway, solitary confinement in the digital age. This is a two-episode day just because, only because I was listening to Mountain Alone by Jeremy Stewart, which I'm going to try to listen to it one more time in the background if I can. And I started thinking about that lacrosse team and I just wanted to share it. I wanted to verbalize it. I wanted it to be out there because they were fond memories of a fond time. And those people were good to me. Those people were good to me. A sad clown's face turns inside out. washes make up the I'm drinking so much coffee these days and I'm wondering if it's problematic. But this will be my last coffee. It's 10.30. I don't even know. I probably had about eight. I think I should just start judging my coffee by the liter, not by the cup. Probably had about... Probably had about... Five liters of coffee. <laughs> oh, I've got to go shopping. How nice is it when you don't even want to leave your house to go shopping? Come on in and love 
another reason why I did this podcast and this is important too. Oh, look at that. I'm just watching a ferry and a lobster boat pass each other on the, out on the passage. That's a nice shot. That would have been nice to filmed. Baby blue lobster boat and a navy blue Nova Scotia ferry just crisscross the ferry in the front, the little blue boat in the back and behind it as they parted ways was the flat line of the Bay of Fundy. Blue sky, Virtually cloud, there's a few little dots of clouds that almost look like sheep. They do look like sheep. I guess that's why they're always called sheep. Anyway. So that what I wanted to say related to the last episode, it's Jewish Tuesday here. It still is. It's still, uh, what is it, the 9th, 8th, February the 9th, 2021. Jewish Tuesday. The last podcast determined that. And I just wanted to make note of something that happened. Let's make it sweet. So, what I think happened, last episode, what is happening? What I think happened last episode was, which was Jewish Tuesday involving Monsieur, Monsieur Shushani, A man, Jeremy Stewart, alerted me to. I felt that at the end of that broadcast, I decreed I was pondering whether or not I was be allowed to play uh, any music by Jeremy Stewart on a Jewish Tuesday. Jeremy Stewart is not, as far as we know, I believe, any more genetically... Um, a Jew, Jew, Jewish. I don't believe he is. So there might have been suspicion at one point, but that's there's there's more complexities to that because Jeremy Stewart. There's the, the uh, Judaic, uh, the Judaic kind of currents that run through Jeremy Stewart. Uh, probably, and I, in fact, I, as I decided quite quickly, there um, definitely qualified him as a musician that could be played on Jewish Tuesday. And it's funny that the moment I decided that, like we're talking about the mystical power of Shushani, and I'm wondering maybe if that's not possible, because if you'll notice at the end of that podcast, I decide it, I go looking for his music to play, and I get sidetracked by an email, and then I start responding to the email. And it's as though, I'm just wondering, I'm just observing, I thought, thought it was worthwhile, at least worth making a podcast about, I'm just wondering if 
that might have been some current from Shushani, a man who I uh, who, who I have who I have uh, kind of suggested might be a member of the Lamed Vav. And I I, I just I described the Lamed Vav. Oh, my dog wants to go out. I think I, when I come back after letting my dog out, just think about that for a minute. Think about the power of the currents of thought and who's who, how they're influenced and this and that. But isn't it interesting that I decreed Jeremy Stewart as eligible um, to play his music on a Jewish Tuesday episode, and then I was that 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 somehow was distracted and the episode ran out. But now I'm back. I've thought about it. I've started. It's still Jewish Tuesday. I've started the episode with a Jeremy Stewart song. But now I'm also going to, this is like point, counterpoint. This is dialectic. This is self-dialectic. You know, I'm not here to prove a point. Now I'm going to let my dog out first and then talk to you about a little bit more about the Lamed Vav, the, the 36, the 26 Justos. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, you want? Oh, you're tricking me. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Go jump up. Go jump up. Careful. 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 Slowly. Slowly. Okay. Good. I'll get you. So, let's go jump up. So, here we go. Put that there. Now, let me get you. Let me get you up there. Okay. Here you go. You want to just go and relax. Okay. So, the Lamed Vav. 36 just minutes funny i played journal i played jeff burner in that last episode light enough to travel and actually when i i went and filmed burner in toronto and at, after the show i went back there and i kind of put the camera in his face and asked him some bizarre hard questions one of them was about ragu lokanathan one of them was about uh if he knew what the lamed vav were i just wanted to see if he was if he knew what they were i kind of felt maybe he was one of them actually at the time i was working on a, on a theory that maybe burner was one of the Lamed Vav, but I don't think so. Now, I'll just uh, I'll just read the Wikipedia one again. This is that doesn't pretend to. I just just to give general information that can probably spew it in a bit more of a constru uh, structured way than my ramblings. But the uh, the Sadikim Nistarium. That's I guess that's Hebrew. Sadikim Sadikim Nistarium. I don't know how to pronounce it. Or Lamed Vav Sadik Sadikim. Or Lamed Vav Siddiquim, often abbreviated to Lamed Vavniks, refers to 36 righteous people, a notion rooted in the, within the more mystical dimensions of Judaism. The singular form is Tzadik Nistar, anyway. And this is the, now, the origins. The existence of 36 righteous people is first mentioned in the Talmud. Mood. There are no less than 36 righteous people in the world who greet Shekinah, in each generation. Another Talmudic passage mentions the righteous people, most of them unknown, who sustain the world. The righteous people, most of them unknown, who sustain the world. Remember, this is not some like mythological narrative. This is the Talmud. And it's like, what well, is that, supposedly? But it's something. It's come like, so what is this based on? And then it gives, however, it gives a number other than 36. And then it says, a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. Uh, this refers to 45 righteous who caused the world to be the same. 30 in the land of Israel and 15 here in Babylonia. 
and most of them can be found in the synagogue under under the upper room in other words among the unhonored masses under the upper room under amongst it. these two sources were combined into the idea that the world is sustained by 36 so really it's 30 and 45 it's not really 36 but they call it the lamed vav and the idea of 36 righteous the 36 righteous became fully fleshed out in later generations as a mystical concept the number 36 is even more intriguing it is said that at all times there are 36 special people in the world and that were it not for them all of them even if one of them was missing the world would come to an end the two hebrew letters for 36 are the lamed which is 30 and the vav which is 6 lamed vav 36 which is 6 Therefore, these 36 are referred to as the Lamed Vav, Lamed Vav, Sadikim. The idea is particularly prominent in Hasidic Judaism. Uh, some big, some guy I don't know, for example, wrote that in every generation, there are righteous people who could perform wondrous acts, but the generation is not deserving of that. So the stature of the righteous people is hidden, and they are not known to the public. Sometimes they are wood choppers or water drawers. I just see a film here with Shushani and the Lamed Vav, and I think I finally saw one. You could start it out talking about the Lamed Vav, 36 righteous people. And it was an idea that always fascinated me, fascinated me. And then one day I began to suspect that I'd identified one. Huh. That's just a whole beautiful movie right there, the Lamed Vav. And you could talk about Shushani. You could talk about Shushani. Their purpose, mystical Hasidic Judaism, as well as other segments of Judaism, believe that there are 36 righteous people whose role in life is to justify the purpose of humankind in the eyes of God. Jewish tradition holds that their identities are unknown to each other and that if one of them comes to a realization of their true purpose, they would never admit it. The Lamed Vag Sadikim are also called the Nistarim. In our folktales, they emerge from their self-imposed concealment and by the mystic powers which they possess. They succeed in averting the threatened disasters of a people persecuted by the enemies that surround them. They return to their anonymity as soon as their task is accomplished, concealing themselves once again in a Jewish community wherein they are relatively unknown. The Lamed Vavniks, scattered as they are throughout the diaspora, have no acquaintance with one another. On very rare occasions, one of them is discovered by accident, in which case the secret of their identity must not be disclosed. The Lamed Vavniks do not themselves know that they are one of the 36. In fact, tradition has it that should a person claim to be one of the 36, that is proof positive that they are certainly not one. Since the 36 are, since the 36 are each exemplars of anva, humility, having such a virtue would preclude against one's self-proclamation of being among the special righteous. The 36 are simply too humble to believe that they are one of the 36. I think I, reading this for some reason makes me think of the Jehovah Witness uh, belief. And, you know, you wonder about these mystical connections between the beliefs, those that have found the, two, the true core of God, which certainly Jehovah's Witnesses have as well in their way. They found the true core of God. And you think about their um, tradition of the Eucharist, where they're passing it around and in Jehovah's Witness tradition, at least as far as I'm aware of, I went to one of their, uh, I don't know if they call it the Eucharist, but the Easter services and they pass the communion and 
nobody's allowed to partake of it because uh, they believe that there's a certain number only of people that are deserving of heaven and only those people can partake of it. Now, when you get into all of that, like you just get into wordplay at a certain point, like you're talking about creation myths and then you're talking about language. And at some point, the reality divides and everyone's own languages defines it. And then it becomes like a game of telephone, in my opinion. And really, there's not much difference in between the Lamed Vav, this not exactly 36 righteous, but they've just been condensed to be that, not these righteous sustainers of the earth, and the folks in uh, Jehovah's Witness faith that believe that you can't partake of the uh, sacrament or whatever it's, you know, again, the words, whatever they call it. But it's it's a, but there's these certain, only a certain amount of people are worthy of it. It's really the exact same philosophy. <sighs> so I guess it still is a Jewish Tuesday. I guess, though, Shishani, if Shishani was the man who had his hands on this lesson, which I kind of feel he does, I kind of feel he does. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not joking. If that's the case, then my question as to whether or not I can play Jeremy Stewart, my hasty decision that I could was put on pause by Shushani, caused me to go and, uh, caused me to go and ponder it, come back, at first think maybe that, maybe he meant that he couldn't, but then I thought of Jeremy, then I just felt like hearing Jeremy, so I played that song, I was walking around not in podcast mode, just personal listening time, <laughs> and thinking, thinking, listening to that, thinking about Beyond Hope, British Columbia, thinking about the lacrosse team, my mind gets distracted. I'm not aware that the magic of Shishani is just sprinkling me with thought. And somehow, somehow, in really what was happening is was the mystical force that, that flowed through Shushani is reminding me that I was going to play this song, that indeed it's okay to play Jeremy Stewart music on Jewish Tuesday, that I should document this wonderful lacrosse team because it was such a wonderful, special time, and I should acknowledge this, the, the city of Beyond Hope, British Columbia, which is code for Prince George. It's Caledonia. We all have our codes for, for Prince George. Caledonia, Beyond Hope, there's more. Hidden City, there's more. And then I end up talking about the Lamed Vav, and Shishani and the Lamed Vav. What a great little... What a film that would be. That's a real worthwhile project. Hmm. Got a minute left. Minute left. I guess that was part two of Jewish Tuesday. What else we got? Let's hear something else by. Go up the mountain alone. A sad clown's face turns inside out. A weeping devil with clouds. A child's cough I hear in the night interrupts my dream. Gifts from the mountain alone, a song I forgot walking home. A love that is incomplete under the white and pink. Blossoms that fall at my feet on an unlovely street. The prisoners out in the yard. Put on a play for their guards. The lights on the faces, but now the makeup is made out of the 
I'm intentionally fading this. 